Merry Christmas, Connect. Everybody doing good? Man, it's great to be in church with you today. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek, and I'm the, the lead servant, I like to say, or lead pastor at Connect. And it's an honor to have you with us on Christmas Eve services. This is number two. <laughs> and so uh, it's great to, to, to see all y'all together. And uh, turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Turn to your second choice <laughs> and say, say it's... Everybody's got a second choice. Everybody's got a second choice. Well, I love, I love uh, Christmas. Uh, real quick, can we just say hi to all our online cable viewers? want to say, hey, Merry Christmas to you, all those of you watching all over the place. Um, anyway, I love Christmas. Um, one of the reasons that I love Christmas is Christmas music. Anybody love Christmas music? Yes? Oh, man, you know, and just getting all that Nat King Cole stuff out there and you know, and Vanessa Williams, and all, it just, and my wife and I were in Florida just recently uh, speaking down there, and uh, it's kind of funny when you're in Florida for Christmas time, it's just like, no, <laughs> just not the same, you know, we New Englanders, we know what it's all about, right, it was like palm trees, you know, a beach, I'm like, what, and there's Christmas, it's the most beautiful time, I'm like, wait a minute, this is different, where's the snowflakes, um, some of y'all that love Christmas music, I got to just kind of cut it out because you started in September. <laughs> you know who you are, you know? I, I remember being in, in September at an intersection, windows down, Michael Buble cranking, you know what I mean? And uh, Michael Buble, anybody love him? All right, all the ladies. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that was going on. Some of you guys just love, love, love Christmas music. Any carolers, don't raise your hand. Because I'm about to call y'all out. But carolers are cray-cray. They're crazy. And, and last year, uh, I was at a little Christmas party with some of my very close friends. They're like family. And we went caroling. And I can remember in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go along with this. But, in my, but, on, the out, but on, the, on the inside, I was like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? I remember getting at the front door of this house, and we got like 12 of us, 15 of us, I don't even remember, it was a, it was a flock of people, and two people knew the words. <laughs> it's like the door opens, these people like, two people start singing, we're like, <laughs> so two things are going wrong. One, I, nobody knows the words except two people. It's like Paula and Stacy, my wife, that's it. Everybody else is just like mumbling along. And the second thing I was thinking was the last time I was at the front door of somebody's house, I was ding-dong ditching in the eighth grade. So just a little confession, you know, there. But if you don't know the music, you don't know the words, you, you just don't, don't, you shouldn't sing, first of all. And secondly, some of you, some of you shouldn't sing, period, you know. I was listening just a few minutes ago, and, and uh, thank God for volume. Um, but... The, uh, the other piece of it is uh, you, people change the words. Carolers change the words all the time. You make up your own lyrics. I hear it. It brings me back to my sister. I have one sister. She's younger than I am, and she would always change the words. And I could tell you so many songs that she is famous for changing the words to. From, you know, like, Grease, you know, go Grease Light. You know that? Remember that, that old movie, you know? And there was this one song, and I can't remember it. It was like, tell me more, tell me more. Did she put up something fight or something like that? She used to put a guy's name in there that she went to school with named Tommy Moore. I'm like, Janelle, no, that's your neighbor. And... Um, and then the Christian anthem, we all, if you're raised in church, you've heard this, and I don't know if I can remember all the words myself, but it's, it's something like, um, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal, you're like, wow, his voice is awesome. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I get that a lot, you know, but anyway. Um, but, but, while she, but she wouldn't sing it like that. That's how you're supposed to sing it. But she would sing it like this. So just hang on, gentlemen. She used to sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostate fall. <laughs> just seeing if anybody's awake here this morning. You can't change the words because it hurts. It hurts when you change the words. Speaking of change at Christmas, and I'm going to be talking about this today, the, the story of the nativity scene and how it's relevant to our lives. I was, I was uh, scrolling through some uh, news, and I noticed that in Washington, D.C., for years and years and years and years and years, they always had a live nativity scene in Washington, D.C., and last year, they took it out, 
And I was, my first reflex was like, oh, it's going to be some religious reason and, you know, political correctness or something like that, some PC thing, and I'm kind of getting upset. And I come to find out it wasn't for religious reasons. The reason they took the live nativity scene out was they couldn't find three wise men in the whole city. (laughs) Or a virgin. (laughs) They found some donkeys. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) so... I just thought I'd say that. Um, <laughs> but we all have our family, uh, you know, kind of traditions. We all have our Christmas traditions, caroling, singing songs, nativity scenes, and things like that. One of the family traditions that we have that would not exist, it would be extinct if it wasn't for my wife, Stacy, is our annual Christmas family picture. Anybody do Christmas pictures, family Christmas pictures, Okay. Oh, wow, not many people. Praise the Lord. They're like, I'm not raising my hand for anything in this church. You never know how you're going to get butchered. Um, so anyway, in our house, <laughs> I really think that's what was going on. Uh, fam- we do family pictures. Now, we wouldn't if it wasn't for her. And for her, it's like a big deal. It's to create this perfect scene, you know, just put all the kids. And, and she goes into so much work to make this happen, like the right clothes and color schemes. And I don't even know what I'm talking about after this uh, related to that. And, and, and she's laying clothes out like, you know, weeks in advance. And she's telling me what I'm going to wear. I love that. Uh, <laughs> sign me up for some more of telling me what I'm going to wear. Um, and, uh, and she's getting, like, the right location, and it's got to be unique, and nobody's ever seen this place, and it's in Alaska or something like that. And we're all going to go there, and we're going to convene. And it takes an act of Congress to get us all together, lined up perfectly, set just right, everything in order. The boys got to behave. It's, we're usually the ones with attitudes, and Devin and I, you know, are getting, like, suplexed by mom because we're being brats, and we hate pictures. We just do. But we're getting better over the years. I'm the best. Devin's coming along. And um, it's a big deal. And there's just been this evolution. And so when you see the, these pictures, and we'll show you some of them. This is kind of the evolution of my family pictures over the years. I don't have this year's, but like, this is like, this goes way back, right? Isn't that cute? And Devin with the braces, what's up? Oh. And then dad with hair, what the heck? Uh, move along, move along. Um, Look at Madison, little shortcut. What do you call that? A bob or something? I don't know what you call that. Uh, and this one, Morgan is so mad. You have no idea. She just got, like, reprimanded. She's on the left and the bottom there, and she's holding it together. And, you know, and um, this next one after this, like, we all believe in being tan, and so we like to get, <laughs> like, what happened? Did you get scorched by the sun? And so, yeah, so there's a lot to make that happen. It looks perfect, and it, and it is perfect for just a few minutes, right? We create this, this, this scene, this, this picture, and what I want to talk to you about is a, is a picture from God that relates to our lives, and that's the nativity scene. Everybody say nativity scene. All right, get ready for this high-end demonstration here, okay? So in a nutshell, the nativity scene, I believe, is a picture from God to us for our lives. And so this is, this is super high-tech. Oh, the little guy, come over here. Oh, oh, the little guy over here. Oh, let's see, here we go. All right, wha-sham. All right, Fisher-Price best, everybody. And so for some of you in your traditions uh, with your kids and family, this comes out at a certain time of year, um, it's got to be perfect. What the heck? Um, this only comes out at Christmas time. Your kids get to play with this. And so I'm a little, I have a little symmetrical issue. Um, okay. Okay. Now I can talk. I couldn't talk before that, but now I can. Okay. So the nativity scene, let me introduce some of these characters in case you don't know who they are. Okay. So hopefully you do, but depending on your tradition and background, that may not be the case. Of course, we have a little angel here, but we'll, we'll, we'll pass by that. Of course we have uh, we got baby Jesus, little eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. Ricky Bobby would love that. Um, and then, of course, we have, we'll pull him out front here. We have uh, sweet little Mary and then, um, and then Joseph. And they're just staring at each other, gazing into each other's eyes because they were madly in love because they knew each other so well before they got married. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get back to that. Um, 
And then we have the, the, the little shepherds. Now, what's interesting about the shepherds, some of you guys may not realize this, but uh, they were seen in society and culturally as the outcasts, the outlanders, the outsiders. Um, they, were not, they were not really accepted by, by culture. Um, they, they, they couldn't go to court, for example, to represent somebody because they were a characteristic that they, they were described as being thieves and robbers and liars. So they couldn't go to court. They could not also go to temple court or, you know, they couldn't go to, uh, to church because they, they were seen as ceremonially unclean because of the traditions of the church. And so um, they couldn't even be in a service like this. They wouldn't be here celebrating uh, with people on a special day or a special occasion for, for faith. Um, they were always seen that way. And what's sad, what's, what's just sad about this is, uh, what yet, uh, is how culture looked at them. But at the same time, what's cool about this is how God looked at them. Because they were the first ones to receive the message of a Savior coming from heaven to earth. In fact, uh, angelic hosts visited them and spoke to them and gave them this message. And so what's cool about that is you might be here today and you feel like when you look at this scene, this picture, this church scene, or whatever, you might feel like the outsider, outsider the outlander, the, the outcast. You need to know something, that the truth and what the reality of Christmas is, is that Jesus came for people who felt like they were on the outside to make them feel like they could be on the inside. That so that they, and then the start and the beginning of it is a change on the inside that affects everything on the outside. That's the message of Christmas, and that came through uh, the shepherds. Amen? And what's also uh, interesting about uh, this nativity scene, of course, is the, the three little wise men. Now, what's interesting about this particular picture is um, several things when it relates to the magi. Magi is just plural for wise men. Uh, we have three here, but there's nothing in the Bible that says there were three wise men. It just says there were three gifts. There was gold, there was frankincense, and there was myrrh. Or like the kids say, gold, frankenstein, and myrrh. <laughs> and so, that's, people tell stories different. Kids say the darnest thing. Um, but there was not, there could have been five wise men. There could have been 10, 15. We don't know. Magi is just plural. There were simply three gifts, and they were there uh, to worship this, this Christ child. What's, what's, what's crazy about, uh, you know, this is that doctrinally, this is all wrong, technically. These magi didn't show up till two years after. And so I basically want to declare a boycott against all things Fisher-Price. This is heresy, I tell you. It should never be done like this, okay? What's even more interesting is they're on the scene and they shouldn't be, but you don't know how much work it took to try to get this all in one thing because when I went to try to get the little shepherds, they were sold separately. <laughs> For hundreds of years, they've been the outsiders, and Fisher Price is keeping up the good work by letting these guys not be a part of the scene at all. What the heck? I had to purchase them separately. I was going through our kids' church just trying to find them. Shepherds weren't anywhere to be found. There's something to be said about all that. Okay, then, of course, we have the animals, and uh, they're, of course, critical to the scene. And, and uh, what's interesting about that is because how it relates to the barn and the environment later where, where Jesus was born. Joseph, as you know from the story, Matthew 1, Luke 2, wherever you are reading this story, he had to return back to his hometown to pay taxes and the census that always took place. And when that happened, the towns and the areas where you come from would swell because everybody who left comes home and there's not a lot of room. Now, Joseph should have known this. And so he's got a pregnant wife. And for anybody who's been pregnant, is pregnant, will be pregnant, I think if you're a woman, you'd, you'd, you'd understand some of the, you know, churn and burn of this. Joseph should have called ahead to get a hotel, everybody. And he didn't. He should have got Expedia, figure out what's going on. But no, 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 no. Joseph shows up, no room at the inn, as a result, has to sleep in a barn with a nine-month pregnant wife. Okay? And then she gives birth to a baby in a barn and then eventually puts him in this cutesy little bed. No, she puts him, she has to put him in a feeding, an animal feeding trough. Listen, Truthfully, the miracle of Christmas is Joseph was even there. <laughs> Can I get an amen from all the women right now? That's a miracle right there. Because if that was my house, I wouldn't have been anywhere in that picture. Let me tell you that right now. Okay, everybody? So, 
when you look at this picture, there are different revelations or different things that we will learn from it. But the first thing I want you to see about this, this is a picture from God for our lives. And here's the big idea if you're writing this down. Jesus never wanted to be just on the scene, but at the center of our lives. The critical element of this particular scene is the order in which it was set up. The order in which it was set up. It's so important that we see how things are. Because I don't know about you, but when I try to find peace in my life, (laughs) I have a predisposition towards structure, towards order, towards perfection. It's a disease. I'm sorry. There's a little bit of OCD-ish element to me. But, But I like things to be in their proper place. The pieces to be in their proper position. And that's all fine and dandy. As an individual, you can probably do a lot of that until you have kids. Anybody have kids out there? All right? Okay. So when you have kids, you can keep things looking like this. No, excuse me. You can't keep things looking like this when you have kids, when you're by yourself. So, so with my kids, I have four kids. Uh, this is an interesting, you know, consideration. I'm not saying this happened or anything like that. But if I was to let any one of my specific gender daughters play with this, at the end of their playtime, and I would give them instructions, make sure you put it back the way it was, put it back up on the shelf, or put it away the way it was. In, in 90% of all instances with my girls, it would go right back the way it was. But if it was to go to one of the other genders within our family, <laughs> there's a strong possibility that after he was done playing with it, that baby Jesus wouldn't even be on the scene. We might have lost baby Jesus. Baby Jesus, perhaps upon inquiry and questioning, could have been taken by another Fisher-Price airplane pilot to another location. It's possible that another scene could have showed up on this scene. Noah could have been in the nativity scene. Maybe Samson could have been in the nativity scene. It's possible that dinosaurs could have devastated the scene. Just depends. But, but order, order creates peace. There's something about order that creates peace. I think everything should have its place. Everything should have a, a position in our lives for us to have the thing that we want. And so what you need to know about this picture is when the order's right and Jesus isn't just on the scene, but he's at the center, our lives work. Jesus doesn't just want to be on the scene He wants to be at the center. That's the picture from God for our lives. This nativity scene reveals more than we realize. In fact, in 1 John 4, verse 9, it says this. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. See, everything in your life flows from Jesus being at the center of your life. Your life, for your life to work right, you want to have the pieces in the scene in the right position, and in particular, you want to have Jesus at the center of that scene. Is everybody tracking with me? And so here's some revelations that we can learn from this. It's really, really easy, and we've really already described them. The scene says a lot. Things don't work right if they're not set up right. You want to fix your life? Put things and set things up right. You want to fix your life? You just got to fix the picture And we're going to unpack this even more as we go forward, and things will begin to work right. Here's the second reality. The nativity scene is a picture from God for our lives. I want you to, I never want you to see this different. I want you to see this, I I, I never want you to see this the same again. I want you to see this differently than you've seen it before. This This is a picture from God for how your life can work better. Now listen, here's the next thing. We're going to spend most of our time on this next revelation. We all have something at the center of our lives. We all have something at the center of our lives. In fact, whatever is at the center is creating whatever momentum or movement you have. Whatever is at the center is the foundation, the structure of the rest of your life. Whatever is central, centric to your life is critical, extremely important in your life. Maybe for you, I don't know, you might have Jesus on the scene, but is he at the center? For some of you, Jesus isn't even on the scene. He's not even in the picture. He was taken by an airplane pilot someplace else. What I want to make sure before we end the service today is that Jesus is at the center of your life for Christmas. 
That was his intent. And I'm willing to bet that for some of you who are experiencing a certain amount of frustration, uh, discouragement, maybe disillusioned about some things in your life, some of that's because you're like, wait a minute, Jesus is he's in the picture? Yeah, I understand that, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl. I understand he's in the picture, but is he at the center of that picture? Is he squarely placed where he should be? And so what happens is a lot of times is we have these different scenarios that there can be many of these scenarios, and I'll just create a few of those. But Jesus, let's just say he's not on the scene. Uh, Mary and Joseph are not at the center. And let's just put the shepherds at the center. What does that represent, shepherds at the center of the scene? I think shepherds, for all intents and purposes, represents work. It's where we spend most of our time. It's where we uh, default to on a daily basis. It's where we have to go. And as a result, um, we, can, we can find ourselves finding our identity in our work. This is more common for men than women, but it's, it's, not, it's pretty universal where we see work and worth are connected. That's not God's intent. That's not God's design, but that's t- typically or commonly what happens in our world today. When work becomes the center of your life, the, the central part of your life, uh, we can find ourselves in a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. My tendency is to do, not you know, is to, is to work for it, is to make extra effort, to, to kind of drive and push for the next thing. And, and I can lean on my own understanding, and I can lean on my own efforts, and I can lean on my own abilities. And it's easy because I spend a lot of my time in that particular area. Is everybody tracking with me out there? But whatever we place at the center of our lives, whatever we lean into, whatever we depend on for strength, when trouble comes, when adversity comes, and it will, and it will, It's going to happen at some point. What happens is when that's central, we tend to work even harder. We tend to push even more. We tend to try to find our confidence. We try to find our solutions, find our significance, find our reward in those things. But I can tell you what, shepherds at the center of your life makes for a lousy God. It's not the picture from God that he has for your life. That's not what he has. So let's just say that's not your thing, okay? Uh, they're, They're not central to your life. Let's... Let's just say that the three wise men are at the center. And I'll make a point once it's perfectly placed. The three wise men, or the magi, this represents uh, status, position, achievement, wealth, influence, things like that. And, and, and people would probably uh, tend to say, or we, they would be hard-pressed to admit, yeah, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm putting at the center of my life. No, nobody, nobody tends to admit those kind of things. But if we were to take a snapshot of your life from a 30,000-foot view, if we were to walk behind you with a camera in your life, we would quickly see that in spite of what you might say with your mouth or even believe in your mind, your life reflects that you are preoccupied with those things. You're preoccupied with wealth and status, achievement and position, and whatever the next thing is on the power chain, the possession chain, the, pl- the pleasure chain of life. And that, as God of your life, tends to deceive and lie and tell you, you'll find significance with these things. You'll find happiness with these things. You'll find success with these things. But again, you'll never be happy with the magi or the wise men at the center of your life because whenever our lives are about those things and then we finally achieve title, let's just say we get the salary, we get the bonus, we get the position, the influence, the recognition that we so aspire to, whether we were hiding it or not in our heart, that's what really we were after, that's what our life was really after. We soon find out it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. In fact, the wealthiest people in the world, Christian or not, if you were to interview them privately, would say, you can look at the veneer of my life, but that is not what's bringing happiness. In fact, it's bringing a lot of sadness to my life because I have to, whatever I've built my life on, that's what I have to maintain it on. And that's really hard to do. In fact, the wealthiest man in all of human history, Solomon, said all of that as the center of your life. And if you get it all, it's meaningless. It's meaningless, right? It's very common. In fact, the conqueror, the great conqueror, historical con- conqueror, Napoleon, there's a quote that says, when he had conquered the then-known world, he wept bitterly because there were no more worlds to conquer. See, there's that tendency inside of us to go after, go after, go after, and climb, 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 
that, 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 that uh, you know, that escalator to success, and then at the end of that, this doesn't bring what we were actually looking for. In fact, um, my father, who was, before he was in ministry, was a life insurance executive, and he was, he was, being, he was chasing and pursuing a, a leader in his life, a mentor in his life, who eventually became the president of the company that my dad was working for. My dad was a few positions behind him, aspiring to be like him. And, and then that man left and went to another company, a bigger company, and he grew through the ranks to become the president of that company. And then he was so successful uh, that he left that company, became the chairman of the board of a conglomerate of companies. And, and at that point in his life, he had homes in other parts of the world, and he had toys and, 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 and trophies and, and the trophy wife. And everything that everybody wanted, everybody was aspiring to. And on Christmas Day, one year, my mother received a phone call from my father's mentor's wife that said he had taken his life because he had climbed the ladder of success only to get to the top and weep because there were no more worlds to conquer. When that becomes the center of your life, it is a terrible, terrible God to build your life on. It will never satisfy. It will never bring the success. In the process, you can gain wealth, but you can lose your health. You can go after these things, and you can lose the very thing that you actually wanted. Now, let's just take the wise men out, and let's do what I think is very common and very um, seemingly noble is to put relationships. This is Mary and Joseph. This would represent marriage, family, Friendships, let's just say. Mary and Joseph at the center of your life. Relationships at the center of your life. In fact, uh, some people put their spouse, you know, their child, uh, uh, their family. Family is like a religion in America today. And it seems noble. It actually seems spiritual. But the problem is God never designed another human being to satisfy or fulfill or meet your every need. The only person who is designed to satisfy, fulfill your need is God Almighty. Can I have an amen out there? The Bible describes God as the all-sufficient one. The only one who has total sufficiency to meet your need is not another person. It's only the complete and total person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is everybody tracking? And so there's this tendency to think that if I can just find a husband, then I'll be happy. Men, run from those women. Run for your lives. Run, Forrest, run. If you're on the other side and, you, and you're, you're thinking, if, if I could just find a woman, ladies, run. Stay in your house. Lock the doors. Lock the doors. He's trouble. He's trouble. And it's interesting because I see couples, and, and years ago when I did counsel, more counseling, uh, people would come in and they'd want me to marry them. I'd say, okay, we're going to have to have pre-marriage counseling. And, and, and they'd come into pre-marriage counseling, and the couple would be all gooey and mushy and finishing each other's sentences. And I swear they were singing a song when they came in. And, 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 and he didn't have a job. He didn't have purpose or vision for his life. The mother dropped them off for the counseling appointment because they didn't even have a car. And, and they get in, and, and, they're, and she's sitting in his lap. And, and he, you guys, I'm trying to prepare you for marriage. Oh, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. And it was disgusting. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that. It was disgusting. And it, it, it might be really short order after the marriage. It might be six, 12 months later. They're back in my office. He's got a job. They've got a house. There's a kid on the way. There's a dog. There's a cat. They, they've kind of got a plan. But when they come in, they are fired up. I feel like I'm in one of those, you know, boxing matches. You know, and over here in the right-hand corner, we have weighing in at 130 pounds, you know, and like Mike comes out, let's get ready to rumble. Ding, 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 let's go. You know what I mean? The whole thing changes because you built your life thinking you're going to be happy by finding this other person. Oh, but then when that doesn't work, oh, it wasn't in him, it wasn't in her. We know what we need is we need some kids. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Do I need to introduce you? To some of these little imp, you know, these little demonic manifestations that are running around tearing up your life. You think that is going to bring happiness? I'm telling you, you're missing the point. Sometimes we get preoccupied with the wrong things, think it's going to bring us the right things, and that's not the case. Ladies, if you're putting all your hope at Christmas time that he's, he went to, uh, you know, Macy's to buy you a gift, you need to know he forgot he went to Walgreens on the way. 
okay. Bring it down. Dumb it down. See, what happens is when we build our life on that kind of a picture, things get shipwrecked pretty quickly. Our hearts get broken. It's like we call it A-frame relationships because when one person falls, the other one crests. We were not created to be like this, leaning on each other 50-50. You complete me. Nonsense. 100-100. Okay? Everybody's got to be all in. Everybody's got to be pursuing whole because everybody's a little crazy. Everybody's got issues. How many people got issues? Raise your hand. Okay. If you're not raising your hand, you got the issues, the most issues, okay? So here's the other thing. So if family and relationships aren't the center, let's just say we put the animals at the center. What on earth is he going to do with this one? Okay. I don't know. Figure it out in just a second. Okay. So let's say the animals, anybody on the internet at all, like anybody social media, Facebook, Facebook, anybody, Facebook, Okay. Have you seen all the animal pictures on social media? Like I just read two days ago, there are more animal pictures on the internet than pornography. I was like, wow, I thought that was, yeah, that's kind of a contrasting statement. There are so many animal pictures, and here's the thing. If you're one of those people, um, we want to pray for you after (laughs) church today. And if you don't change... Please go someplace else. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, 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 but people are putting animals on the, int- on the uh, social media like in, as humans. Like they're dressing them up like human beings. Stop. Stop. This has nothing to do with my message. I just wanted to get that off my chest. So, but these animals, <laughs> they, they, they represent for many of us like a hobby, a passion, an interest of our lives. And what happens is we all have hobbies, passions, interests. In fact, I think if you don't have hobbies, passions, and interests on the scene, you're probably not healthy. But the problem is what be, what's supposed to be on the scene, before you know it, gets at the center. And so if you're in the south, you might like golf. That's a big thing. If you're in the north, you might like skiing. You might have uh, sports as a passion. You might like CrossFit. You might like powerlifting, God's sport. You might like, uh, just saying, um, Whatever those things are, before you know it, it can take your life over. I know somebody's like a spiritual son to me. He was in the last service, and he was, uh, he was an NFL football player. And his whole life was built around this sport. It was, it was central to everything. It was in the center of his life, the number one thing. Everything out of his mouth was all about that. And he got into the NFL, and he had a catastrophic accident. And uh, not catastrophic, that's terrible. He had a terrible injury that took him out of football indefinitely. Now, how many know, because he built his life around that sport, when he came out, he didn't know who he was. Because who he was was what he did. Instead of our life should be who we know is is who we are. Not what we do is who we are. Is everybody tracking with me? And so when you put the wrong thing in in the right position, we get the wrong results. And so it makes for a lousy God to put those things central to our lives because they'll end up being very, very disappointed. None of those things at the center other than Jesus were designed to carry that weight for your life. And so all we have to do to fix this mess is fix the picture. The only thing we need to do to fix the mess of our lives and the things that we're experiencing that are not working in our lives is simply fix the picture. May you never look at this the same again. Because here's the goal. The goal of Christmas in a nutshell is put baby Jesus back at the center of our lives. And when you do, and if you do that, 2018 will be the best year of your life. I guarantee it. I don't know any pastor would tell you a guarantee when you come to church, but I guarantee if Jesus is at the center of your scene, the center of your life, it'll be the best year of your life. Can I have an amen out there? So I like steps. I don't know about you, but I like, okay, well, how do I put him at the center of my life? What is the process by which I put him at the center of my life? Here's the first thing. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Admit what you're, not, what you're doing right now is not working. It's amazing how difficult this is for some people, but, but basically, if you could just get honest with God. You have to, for, for you to make a change, for God to be, Jesus to be at the center of your life, uh, you're going to have to admit, it, people don't want to capitulate to the idea of someone else running my life. But when I run my life, I've come to the conclusion and conviction that I will eventually ruin it if I run it myself. You are not designed by God to run your life by yourself. That's why we sing songs like, Jesus, take the wheel, okay? It's because he's trying to tell you something. He's created this 
this interdependent relationship, this hand-in-glove relationship, this situation where I want to be a part of your life, I can help you with your life, but don't exclude me, don't push me out of the equation. And, and some of you know that your life's not working the way it is, but you're not admitting it. See, admit and submit are kind of similar because submit's basically saying, I'm making a decision of my will to say something, to, to surrender something. So some of you just can't, just can't yield if you'll yield that the way I'm doing it didn't work. See, some of you have strong opinions about things, strong positions about things. You're holding on to positions and opinions. This is bonus. And that's keeping you from the order that brings peace to your life. And God's saying, no, just admit whether this is all worked out or not, your life's not working the way it is. So a lot of times when I say to people like, okay, I understand that, I hear that, I hear that, I hear that, and then I'll say, how's that working for you? That's what I think God is saying. He's like, how's that working for you? And if we would just start with, you're creator God, you know more than I do. If I don't understand, it's because I don't understand, and so I admit I need your help. That's the process. And here's what happens. is culture offers us something else and keeps us crazy. In Job 9.25, it says, My life passes more swiftly than a runner. It flees away without a glimpse of happiness. We are running Mach 5 with our hair on fire. That's why I don't have any more. Is because we just keep going and going and going. Energizer, bunny, and culture. This is culture. It's just run and gun and run and gun and add. We don't, not only do we not have Jesus at the center, but we keep adding new things to this scene, crowding this scene so that it doesn't work. We're adding new activities. We're adding new responsibilities. We're adding new goals and ideas. We're adding new opinions and notions. And as a result, it's crowding the picture from God for order for our lives. Is everybody tracking with me? And so before you know it, we're doing all those things, thinking I'm going to find fulfillment and significance. And in the end, we're tired and we're exhausted. And if we slept for 24 hours straight, we'd wake up tired. That's because your life is out of order. It's out of order. Here's the second thing. If you would admit it, now what? Now what do you do if I admit it? The second thing is, look at this. Look for signs from God. Look for signs from God. See, God wants to be, I hope you can believe this, see this, receive this by faith. He wants to be in your world. He wants to, the Christmas story is essentially God became a human to connect with you, a human being. That's a, that is a demonstrative example and, and message to you and me that he wants to be in your world. And so you need to pay attention to the message behind the sign. I, I, I'm pursuing you. I want to be connected with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And so you, you need to look for these uh, divine interruptions, these divine interventions. Because, And when you see them, realize God is reaching out to you because he loves you, because he cares about you. Every person in the Christmas story had a sign from God. Every single one of them had a sign from God. Uh, depending on who you look at, it doesn't matter. The wise men, for example, they saw this anomaly in the sky, this star, and it was different than all the other stars. For me, I never would have seen that. I wouldn't have recognized that. I would have, first of all, gone outside. I wouldn't even looked up. I would have been looking somewhere else. If I looked up in the sky and there was a sign up there, I probably wouldn't have seen it. But God knew exactly the kind of sign to give to a stargazer. He knew precisely the way to connect with them. If they would look, they would see the sign. God has the right sign for you if you'll just look for the signs. Sometimes I don't have any sign because you're not looking. And God's not going to give you a sign like he gave to the Magi and to the wise men. He's going to give a sign that's unique to you. I don't know how it's going to come. It could be a text message from nowhere, something in your mail. I don't know, something through nature. It doesn't matter. He's going to give you these unique experiences so that you can see that God is trying to reach you. These breadcrumbs from heaven leading you to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. It could be different. For Joseph, it was a dream. For Mary, it was, it was you know, an angelic visitation. Joseph has these dreams, and in these dreams, I don't get dreams. I have dreams. I don't remember any of them. So I don't think that's the way God would speak to me. I think just all erased by the morning. It was bad taco. I don't know. Uh, but some of you, some of you, maybe that's how God would speak to you. That's how he spoke to Joseph, though. He gave him specific instructions. He, he gave him, you know, uh, confidence so that he could make the tough call through a dream. 
Maybe God's giving you a, a solution to a problem, a, a plan for the future, uh, something could come that way. For, for Mary and for the shepherds, it was an angelic host or it was an angel of the Lord that spoke to them. And if it wasn't for those signs, they wouldn't have been able to move forward in their lives and receive the direction that God had for them. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, this angelic visitation is spoken of in verse 11. There's born to this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. God has signs for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Might not be like that for you, but whatever it is, there'll be these subtle signs that God, if you'll open your eyes, that God will present to you. And listen, and when you're not paying attention to those, I believe the subtleties get stronger and stronger. Why? Because he loves you. He's pursuing you, and he wants to get in your world. And, and this is what happens next. When you come to the realization that God, you first of all admit you need him, Secondly, you start to look for those signs, and the response to that is, wow, God really is after me. God's speaking to me. God's, then you have a response choice, and here's what I think you should do. You need to aim your worship right, because everything in our life is worshiping something. We're all worshiping something. What's at the center? Whatever's at the center, that's what you're worshiping. And so you need to aim your worship right because your affection precedes your direction. Hope you guys get that. But you set your affection right and God will set your direction right. Colossians tells us we shouldn't set our affection on things of earth or, but on things above. Colossians 3. So when you set your affection right, he'll give you the right direction for your life. Where's your heart being set? Where are you aiming your worship? In, in, in the Christmas story, there were two groups of people that were our people, individuals that were aiming their worship differently. For the Magi, they were setting their worship on Christ, the Christ child. And they basically said, you know, uh, we, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So, so the Magi, their aim, their worship was on this Christ child at the center of their lives. But in verse 8, and, and we see in the context of this scripture, that Herod, King Herod, his worship, the center of his life was himself. He didn't aim his worship at the king. He masked it. He talked like he was going to do that. But we all know from the story and the full context of the story, he was actually trying to kill the king, eliminate the king. He didn't want the king of kings to be at the center of the universe. He wanted to be at the center of the universe. And so he said, uh, may I go and worship him as well? No, he wasn't going to really worship him. His worship was aimed wrong. And if you don't set your affection right, you won't get the direction. You'll end up being confused and lost. Affection precedes direction in our lives. So, Pastor, I get, I get it. I get it. I, 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 want, I admit it. The way I'm doing it is not working. I, I'm going to open my eyes to look for signs. In fact, as I begin to think about what you're saying, the Holy Spirit even reveals to me signs that he already has been speaking to me and talking to me and showing me things. And I choose to aim my worship. And I choose to set my affection right. But now, now what do I do? And this next part's the toughest part of all. This is the part where I lose a lot of people, to be honest with you. As a minister of the gospel for 25 years, this is, this is what people don't want to do. They don't want to surrender their life. And at Christmas time, I think there's no better time to make sure that Jesus is not just on the scene, but he's at the center of your life. Because a lot of people, this is what happens. I'm comfortable with Jesus just on the scene somewhere. I'm comfortable with that. I just want to add a little bit of religion. I want to add a little bit of church to my situation. Listen, you don't need to add church. You don't need to add religion. You don't need religion at all. You need relationship with God and God at the center of your life for your life to work right. It needs to be set up right. Can I have an amen? I want to set my life right. I want the course of my life, the trajectory of me on my life to be set right. And the only way that's going to happen is if that Jesus is at the center of my life. Not just on Christmas, but every day going forward. And there's going for that to happen, for him to be at the center of your life. Sometimes there needs to be certain changes and alterations in our life. Sometimes it's, it's all these things we've added. We might need to subtract we might need to pull some things off the table, as it were. And, and that's, the Bible uses a word called sacrifice for that. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and following, it talks about present your body, a living sacrifice. You don't have to die. Jesus died for your sins. You never have to do that again. What he wants you to do is present your life, a living sacrifice. 
It's not, I'm, I'm not in charge anymore. This is where we go from I see him as the savior of the world to I see him as the Lord of my world. And every single person in the Christmas story made a sacrifice. Mary and Joseph, absolutely. These two were betrothed to be married. They had done it right. Mary was a virgin. Uh, she was pure. She was chosen. She was special, obviously, for God to select her. Uh, Joseph was an upright man. He wasn't trying to do what culture would have done with this story about this girl, you know, giving birth by the whole, come on. No, he was an upright man. He responded to the voice of God. She responded to the voice of God. She pondered these things in her heart, the Bible says. She decided to do what the angel of the Lord had said and, and submit her life to God. In spite of the fact, listen, ladies, she could have been killed in that time frame, that time frame that she was alive for what was happening inside her and what people could have said about her. But she made a sacrifice. The shepherds made a sacrifice as well. The shepherds left their 24-7 responsibility, their identity, their work was their worth. They walked away from that security. They walked away from that identity. And they, uh, they went on a, a word from heaven to, to visit a baby in a barn. They left all that. People, they already looked at wrong. People thought they were crazy, but they did it. And, of course, the wise men, I think, Wise men, they probably were extremely wealthy, probably had a lot of influence because of their wealth, a lot of wherewithal and wealth and, and influence as a result of that. And what's interesting about people who have prestige and power and wealth and all those kind of things, the Bible tells us that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man through and into the kingdom of God. And yet these, these magi... In spite of what they had, the veneer of their life and all the things that they had on the surface, they knew deep beneath that something was missing. And they were looking for a sign from God. They were willing to admit that things weren't working. They were willing to go and worship and present their offerings to God and their gifts to God. And as a result, say to God, I'm missing something. The Bible says eternity is in the heart of every man. In a sense, that means there's a hole that only God can fill. And these wealthy, influential people were willing to say, I admit it. It's not enough. I'm at the top and it doesn't satisfy and they traversed for months across the desert to find this Christ child. There was a sacrifice. No matter who you are, where you are, in order to fully surrender your life, you're going to have to present yourself a living sacrifice. Give up certain things. Say no to certain things. To say yes to the best things in your life, you have to say no sometimes. Even to some good things in your life so that Jesus isn't just on the scene. He's at the center of your life. And here's what happens. All throughout Scripture... On the other side of those decisions, when people do those kind of things, there's an incredible order, peace, and blessing that comes in our life. The thing we really want isn't things. The thing, the thing we really want isn't on the, on the surface, circumstantial. The thing we want is like an inner peace. That's what people want. When I ask people, what are you stressed about this Christmas? They'll talk about being busy and crazy busy. and all that. That's not what's really bothering them. It's always relational. It's always an activity of the heart that's the issue. And so on the other side of this surrender, in the middle of that decision, on the other side, there's this blessing that comes. In fact, the Bible has a scripture directly, dead center in the middle of your Bible. In fact, in, if you go, go 15,551 verses in, there's this one verse right after that, and there's 15,551 verses after that, and it's this verse right here, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, you'll keep him, her, boy, girl, whoever it is, in perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. Jesus talked about this in the New Testament. He said, my peace I give you is not peace like the world gives. It's not, it's not, when I learned this in Sunday school, it's not peace like a pond. It's peace like a river. What does that mean? That means it doesn't, it's not all tranquil, placid, perfect, all on the outside. It can be crazy on the outside. But on the inside, I have peace. It wasn't perfect all around this world that they were in, they were in a barn, but there was perfect peace on this scene because the scene was in order. The life was in order. God wants to provide you that kind of peace in your life. You can have that kind of peace, but you have to be willing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I'd like you to put your, your notes away, and if you wouldn't mind, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for some people in this room. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you mind just honoring the people next to you? The reason I'm asking you to close your eyes, if you would please do that, 
is, first of all, to honor the people around you so they can encounter God with privacy. Secondly, to look at your own heart. This Christmas, would you close your eyes to look at your own heart? We're going we're gonna to celebrate Christmas tomorrow. We begin that process today. And I would just ask you to ask yourself, what is at the center of your heart this Christmas? Is it work? Is it hobbies and passions and interests? Is it, is it wealth and status and achievement? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it even your marriage? All those things were not created to sustain your happiness, your significance, your fulfillment. All those things make for a lousy God at the center of your life. They can be on the scene. I think they should be on the scene, and God's okay with them being on the scene, but they should never be at the center. And so there's two groups of people here today. Some of you don't even have Jesus on the scene at all. You are far from God, and God is pursuing you through this message. And some of you, he's on the scene, but he's not at the center. And so for that first group, if you're here today and you would say, I, I, I'm far from God. I'm not sure that he's at the He's even on the scene of my life. And I want to invite Jesus, relationship, not religion, relationship with Jesus into my life. Trust me, th this, is, this is the real deal. It can literally change your life, this decision. If that's you, I want you to just boldly, courageously, without fear, just between me and God, raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I don't want to miss that. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. All the way at the back there. That's awesome. Good and high so I can see it. I don't want to miss it. Thank you in the middle there. Thank you, sir. Ma'am, thank you. Thank you all the way in the back. I saw your hand. Thank you. That's awesome. Is there anybody else that I missed? Thank you all the way at the back. I see your hand in the left. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Now, now for those of you who would say, and be honest, be honest. This is, this is you and God. You're, you're, you're saying this before God. He's on the scene, but if I'm honest, Pastor, he's not been at the center. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? All over the room. All over the room. Don't miss it. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean you shouldn't get on, on it and jump in on it if you know God's speaking to you. God bless you. Thank you. Would you put your hands down now? Let me pray for you. Would you, all of you that raised your hand, both groups, would you join me in this prayer? Say this. Say, Jesus, I don't want you just far from me. I want you near me. I invite you by my free will into my life, not to just be on the scene, but to be at the center of my life. I admit, my life without you, it doesn't work. If I run my life, I ruin my life. I choose today to look for signs from God, to open my eyes to your pursuit, to be in my world. I will aim my worship and my affection, believing for your direction. And most importantly, at Christmas, I surrender my life to Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Pastor Mark, why don't you come on up? Thank you guys so much.